Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for your kind words. Glad to be back at here in High Springs again. I've got with me my friend, Chris Shingleton. Chris, could you stand up? Chris, uh, he lives in, uh, just lives in Oviedo. How do you say that? Oviedo, just outside Orlando. And uh, he used to live in Lancaster before, where I live. He's part of our church. He has traveled with me to Africa, to South America, Burma. We've been to a lot of places together. So he's a good friend. It's good to... Good to have you with us, Chris. Praise God. Amen. And this, this is historic because the first time in my life I've seen a white boy play a Hammond organ. <laughs> this is... I'm always seeing things I've never seen before. You know. I'm, I'm, you know, when I saw that thing, I wanted to go, hmm, you know, the kind of thing. Praise God. Wonderful. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, and uh, I want to start by showing you some pictures. Now, this is what we have done the past one year, you know, some of the stuff we have been doing. And now, this is uh, Bilaspur, India. It is in North India. And North India is very tough territory. And, uh, and the Indian government is very, very much against the preaching of the gospel, especially if you're a foreigner, you come in. Uh, it becomes very, very difficult. And they, uh, you know, they throw you out of the country and they blacklist you from ever coming back but uh, as you know I'm I'm Middle Eastern but my mother grew up in India and so when I grew up uh, I used to speak Indian languages with my mother and uh, so I learned three uh, actually four Indian languages but I cannot read or write in them but I can communicate quite fluently so uh, when I preach in these crusades I uh, I pretend I'm a local. Firstly, I'm dark, so I blend in. And then, so I'll always greet the people in the local language, and then I'll preach in English with an interpreter. And because I have a funny accent, they also think I'm local. And, uh, uh, and then uh, when, you know, when I, I'll do the altar call, pray for the sick, and when people come and give their testimony, what God has done for them, I do that. I ask them in the local language. So, Nobody suspects anything, so you don't tell anyone either. So, so, uh, you, so because of that, I have an open door. I can go in and out and preach, and we have done some big crusades. And uh, so we, we, this is one of our crusades in Bilaspur, which is a big city in the, in, you know, right in, in North India. The next picture is, now these are some of the miracles that took place there. This man was paralyzed in his arm and his leg, and he was mute, couldn't speak. The Lord healed him. The next picture is uh, this, this, if this father came with his son who was born paralyzed, had never been able to stand or walk in his life, and he's now standing and walking for the first time. And the next picture is, uh, this was a woman complete, completely blind who received her sight. And the next picture, now, then, then I was invited by a, a very conservative Baptist denomination, and they said, we want you to do our annual convention. So I said, do you have any idea who I am? <laughs> and so they said, yeah, yeah, we know who you are, but we are inviting you because we want to learn more about the Holy Ghost. 
So I said, okay. So I said, okay, but I promise you one thing. Uh, by the time I'm finished with you, you won't be Baptist anymore. So, so what we did the first two days was, uh, you know, it was preaching, but the power of God was manifest. And you'll see some of the pictures. And so on the third day, the last day, I began to talk about the Holy Ghost and teach them. Because, see, those people, they believe, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they believe he's not for today, you know. They believe Jesus did miracles. He doesn't do them today. They were, what do you call them, cessationists, as we call them. So when they saw all the miracles, I mean, that kind of convinced them that, that you know, this is for today. So then I began to teach them uh, that the key to these things is the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and why we must receive him. I taught them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then when I gave the, the call for people to baptize the Holy Spirit, thousands of people rushed to the front. And all the pastors came down from the platform and the Holy Ghost fell. People were baptized with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. And then, and then they brought out these big traditional drums and they began to dance. These people are normally very stoic and very conservative, but they began to dance. And that brought tears to my eyes. That was awesome. And the people were dancing. See the old ladies, you know, in their 80s dancing and praising God. So it was, it was awesome. Anyway, so this was the Baptist Convention uh, also called the next one, next picture. This is at the Baptist convention. Man couldn't walk, but Jesus healed him, began to walk. The next picture, uh, as you can see, we're wearing jackets. It was very cold. We were about 6,000 feet altitude. Uh, I was living in the attic of a church, and there was no hot or cold water. And, uh, but the people were very kind. They were hospitable. They did their best for us. This lady had a huge tumor the size of a melon in her belly that disappeared. And the next picture is uh, uh, her right inner ear was missing. They've done surgery in her ear and removed everything. It was basically just hollow. But God did a creative miracle and she began to hear with that ear. And the next one is... Uh, now, after that, we went to the, the, the capital city of Imphal, which was of that state. And there we had a crusade there. And you see, here's the altar called the final night. We had thousands and thousands of people saved. And the next picture is, uh, now this lady was Hindu. She was lame, uh, paralyzed. She was carried to the meeting by her family, and she got saved and healed, and she was walking and running. And the next picture, now this is amazing, because the, you see the man in the blue jacket and, and the man with his back to the camera. They were brothers, and they were both uh, paralyzed, couldn't walk. So their family had carried them to the meeting, because I grew up Muslim. And when they saw my last name uh, on the poster, they were very surprised that a man could have a Christian first name and a Muslim last name. So they said, let's, let's check this guy out. So a lot of Muslims came. And when these two men got healed and they began to walk and everybody knew them, they gave their testimony. After that, we had thousands of Muslims getting saved in that crusade. So it was, a, the, you know, the Lord really moved with great power there in Imphal. Uh, this is in, in the northeast. And the next one is, uh, this is, now this is in Mafambise. As you can see, there were quite a number of people that came. This is in the coastal belt of Mozambique. Now, coastal belt of Mozambique is 40% Muslim. And Islam is making big inroads because they, they're doing, you know, see, what happens is that one thing you have to understand. Uh, uh, in the U.S., uh, the, the government doesn't support the work of the gospel, you know. The U.S. Government, government doesn't give us money to preach the gospel. But the Islamic countries, they take a portion of their GDP, uh, which is billions of dollars, 
and they give it to Islamic organizations who spread Islam. So every, every gallon of gas you buy, part of it is going to the spread of Islam. And so they're building free clinics, free hospitals, free schools, and they're telling the Muslims, if you convert to Islam, we will give your children an education, we'll give you free medical treatment and all that. So because of that, a lot of people are making, doing these conversions to Islam. So officially, 40% of the coastal belt of Mozambique is Islam. But Islam has, doesn't have the power to change lives. Only Jesus does that. It's, Islam doesn't promise either to, that when you receive Muhammad, your life will be changed. You know, that's not a part of the message. It's just a religion. But we have the message. So uh, we are... In there, we'll be doing four crusades there this year because I feel like it's such a needy area and someone must go in and preach and we'll go to big towns and small towns. So if you look at this town, Mafambise, it's a little blip on the map. And I was shocked at how many people came. Uh, and on the last night, we had 20,000 baptized with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, you know. And, that's, uh, and, that's, uh, and we had more people here than we had in the big city. We were in a bigger city, and there the crowd wasn't as big. It was big, but nothing like this. And this is because people came from the whole region. When people hear that people are getting healed, especially if there's miracles, miracles are like God's dinner bell, you know. So when people see the sick are getting healed, they will come. And so, so this is uh, the, the, one of the crusades in Mozambique, and, and uh, we are trying to work out some dates, but uh, uh, I believe uh, 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 Pastor Edwin and Pastor Greg are going to come with me to Mozambique. Now, they don't know, but I'm speaking faith, you know. <laughs> so he knows now. So, uh, so we are, so we, 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 we'll, we'll do that sometimes, you know. So just, so you, now you know. So anyway, the next one is, uh, uh, this is the other crusade, which I said was big, but not as big as the last one. This is Munyava. And the next one is, uh, this is uh, in Chegutu, Zimbabwe. Farming community, but all these people showed up to hear the gospel. They walked from miles, came from far. And the next one is in uh, Rimuka, another township, you know, and we had all these people came to hear the gospel. So you see, there's a hunger there. And the next one is, uh, this is some of the Assemblies of God pastors who were working with us. And uh, uh, the next one, uh, these are some of the boys we have in our orphan's home. The next one. There's a new uh, house we built for the orphans. It is on our farm. And the next one, and this is a lady in Africa on the crusades there. She got up from a wheelchair and began to walk. She was paralyzed. The next one, uh, this, this little girl, she was totally blind. She's about nine, ten years old, totally blind, and she received her sight and began to see. And the next one, uh, this, now this is beautiful. This this uh, little, these two girls are sisters. The older one, I think, is nine years old. And she brought, she had faith for her baby sisters, even when the parents didn't have, because the parents didn't bring her. She came with her baby sister, and the baby sister, sister was born deaf in both years, and she received a hearing. And the next one, uh, uh, this, now this is good. Uh, this is when Pastor Greg, you were with us at that crusade. Remember the girl, her whole leg from hip to feet was encased in that thing. You see that brown thing I'm holding in my hand? That was, that was a thing that, the, that this little girl had on her leg. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just encased her whole leg from her, from her hip down to her feet. 
and and because of that she could stand she couldn't walk but she could stand on her feet because of that support and uh, so when we prayed the power of god touched that girl the mother took the thing off and the child began to walk and run for the first time in her life so that is uh, that that was in malawi and the next one uh, uh, now you remember this one also this was the man who carried his wife the lady who was standing with the thing on her head she was paralyzed for several years and he carried her on her on his back for several miles to the crusade you remember that and uh, you were sitting on a platform brother so anyway <laughs> anyway, anyway so and so he came you know i thought i i said to pastor edwin i said i know many people in america christians who would have divorced her because she can you know you know i know people who do that but but he came i mean that's true love he came to the crusade carrying his wife totally paralyzed on her back uh, for miles and god healed her and now he's giving his testimony as she's standing on her feet for the first time after years and the next one is uh, this uh, you remember this one this this lady was completely blind and the young lady is her grandmother and this old lady she was completely blind she received a sight so she came up i said can you see me yes i said touch my nose so she and i kind of weave my head back and forth and she held my nose and everyone thought it was funny and everybody laughed so that's when they took this picture and the next picture is uh, now this is good this was in zambia this lady was in an and i didn't know this was medically possible i had to do some reading and found it was true this lady was in an advanced stage of pregnancy and then something happened the baby stopped moving the baby stopped growing for months so for i think 5 months she carried this um, baby who was i think the baby was dead you know no movement no growth nothing for 5 months and i didn't know that a woman could carry a dead baby in her womb but i've heard that it is possible so she was like this carrying this thing in her womb and hadn't moved for or anything for 5 months and then uh, during the crusade the power of god touched her and the baby began to kick and move so she came to show us what the lord had done and so and you could see her stomach move that was amazing anyway this was the last picture praise god praise god so thank you <laughs> and and you know and thank you for your support and i just want you to know this much i told pastor greg and uh, last night i talked i called africa i had a long conversation with my director of operations and you know this is what he said to me i'm just telling you what he said he said you know pastor we have brought many uh, many because i told them that i was preaching here so uh, so this is what he said he says please ask pastor edwin pastor greg to come back he said we have had many pastors come and some of them are good you know they're inspirational but uh, what pastor greg and pastor edwin left with us was that they had a systematic teaching that the pastors felt Uh, that the african pastors didn't just feel that inspired them but they felt that this is something that helped us grow and and help us grow our churches because you know you can hear good preaching that's inspirational it can stir you up but then the next day it's forgotten and we have done much of that and but they said that what they brought is that they were very systematic and they taught us and and they taught us uh, and he says i personally gained a lot so could you ask them to come back I said yes I'm going to ask them. So uh I I just want you as a church to know that uh, that their going to Africa was very important for our people for for the churches we we work together with. So I just want you to know that. 
so they are not going on vacation but they really work when they are there you know praise god now now i want to share with you because um, can i take 5 minutes pastor greg share that okay i shared this with pastor edwin because he and i we talk about everything there's there's nothing about me he doesn't know you know so we t- we talk about everything so i began to tell him i said right now on the f- on february the 1st i'm leaving for india and god has opened uh, miraculously doors for us in two towns uh, one one town is uh, uh, is run by hindu fundamentalists and these are people who you know uh, india is ruled by a political party that is that are the very strongly hindu and they and they hate christians because uh, you know christians preach the gospel and people uh, convert and they get saved and they don't like it so they are very opposed to the work of the gospel so and they 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 are the ruling party of that area and they uh, this town is under their control so what happened but the main guy in that town the the main the leader of that party his son his oldest son got saved and he's a christian and his friend with the brother the indian brother in india who does all the leg work for us and organizes the crusade so uh, this young man the son went to his dad he says dad look i want you to help me and the dad said okay i'll do anything you want and so he said i've got some friends they just want to come and preach about jesus so please give us permission to do that and uh, leave them alone so the dad promised that no one will bother us so that's a fantastic open door for us so we'll be there uh, for a crusade we'll do be there four nights then we are going to another city which is an hour away and in that city it's a bigger city in that city right in the center by the railway station there's an area where there's between i don't know the exact figures but between 20 to 30000 muslims and that place has never been reached by the gospel main reason is because nobody really knows how to go about it but we have an open door and there's a field right there there's actually two fields and we're going to get one of the fields and we are working on it right now and we are going to go in for a crusade right in that muslim area and the churches in that uh, in the city are very excited and they want to give us volunteers to act as us i mean they are excited that we are going in there because nobody has been there before so uh, and 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 both these cities they have never had a you know a large open air gospel crusade uh, that is reaching the lost they have had conferences and stuff like that but nothing so we are going in there and so we received a budget for that now uh, my budget for that is about $20,000 that's the cost of those two crusades we don't have an exact cost but that is an approximate now in addition to that uh, i received a, a no it was 20,000 but we have 5,000 so it's 15,000 that's left uh, so we need 15,000 for that now in addition to that my team in africa wrote to me and they needed $20,000 to replace equipment and buy new you know just like the main cables you know those really thick round cables that are 100 yards long i mean those things cost thousands of dollars and we have to had to replace our lights and things like that and uh, insurances and and licenses for our vehicles equipments all this uh, we had not budgeted for and that will cost us approximately $20,000 now so we have $35,000 of which 
Uh, I think we have received 12,000 already. Uh, I don't know exactly how much, but uh, I was in a church last Sunday, an Assembly of God church, and the pastor said, I have good news. We have 12 and a half that has come in, but some people give electronically, and that will take a few days before we find out the exact amount. So I know that I have at least 12 and a half thousand that have been given. So we have that plus, uh, how much does that come? I'm not, I was not good at maths. I already have 12 out of, out of 35. 23, 23. So... So anything uh, you can help us with, any, anything, you know, anything God puts in your heart to help us with, it would be a blessing for us. Amen? Uh, then, uh, and whatever is in excess, this is what I'm going to do. I want to share, this is also exciting. The night before the inauguration, I was at a prayer meeting in Orlando. And let me tell you something. Three years ago, uh, I was in Orlando, or four years ago, I was with this pastor. I was going to preach in his church. He took me for dinner. I went for dinner. He said, there's a young man from Denmark. He has just moved to the U.S. and he wants to preach here. And uh, I thought I'd introduce him to you. So I went there and there was this man. He was like six foot six. I've never seen him before. So we sat down and we were eating. And, uh, and suddenly the Danish guy, uh, not the Danish pastry, but the Danish guy. <laughs> I don't want to confuse you. So he looks at me and he says, Brother Christopher Allen, do you remember you preached in Denmark almost 25 or 28 years ago in Copenhagen? I said, yes, I preached in Copenhagen, which is the capital city, only once. Again, Copenhagen is not the tobacco, it's a city. I'm, I know it's confusing. So I said, I said yes, I, I did, and I've only preached in Copenhagen one, once, and it was an evening service. He said, do you remember when you were preaching while you were preaching, a young man, he suddenly jumped up and he began to manifest demons and he was very violent. I said, yes. He says, then you jumped off the platform. You kind of, you know, you ran over the first four pews and you jumped on this man, knocked him on the floor, cast the devils out of him. That was my way of doing things uh, when I was younger. And, and I said, yes. Then he said, I was that young man. I was shocked, you know. And anyway, he became one of the leading evangelists of Denmark, and he was persecuted. So he moved to the U.S. Now, most people, when they move to the U.S., they, you know, they, they, they want a nice church where they can. But this guy, what he did, there's a place in Orlando known as the Orange Blossom Trail. That's the worst, I mean, it's the worst. there's prostitutes and drug dealers. He went right in there and began to witness. And he, he has... Uh, Started a church there. I went to the pre-meeting. Here's, I think, 100, 120 people there in that church now. And they're all off the street. And uh, that prayer meeting, there were about 40 people there. And you should have seen those people pray. I mean, they were on their knees. They were weeping. They were praying fervently. And uh, I've not been to a prayer meeting like that since when I was a new believer myself. Because see what happens when you are a new believer, you don't have much money, you don't have much things, you seek the Lord in a different way when life gets all comfy. You know, honestly. So I was really, really moved. And the Lord spoke to me that whatever comes in excess of whatever you need for Africa and India, give it to them because I really want to help the guy because he's doing a good work. You know, I mean, he really, uh, they, and by faith, they bought a rundown building in the 
right on that strip. And, uh, and that thing would cost, I think, uh, it, he said, they, the owner said uh, 1.2 million. So he said, okay, because it's worth much more. And so he said, I looked at my people. They don't have much. I took up an offering. He said, one offering, $40,000 came in. I mean, from these people who had nothing. So I thought, you know, surely the hand of the Lord is upon him. So I felt like, uh, and the Lord told me that whatever comes in excess of what we need, I, I'm going to just give it to him. And uh, so, you know, so uh, because, you see, the, the bottom line is this. We can't take it with us. That's the first thing. Secondly, the gospel must go forth. So, so praise God. Amen. So, anyway, uh, enough of that. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you. We praise you. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your word is forever the same. Father, we open our hearts this morning that your word may find a dwelling place in our hearts. Touch us, use us for your glory. Let us bear much fruit so that you are honored and glorified wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to share with you about the last words of Jesus, the last words that our Lord Jesus spoke when he was on this earth. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to talk about the last words of Jesus, the very last words of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. So I'm starting in Acts 1 verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because it says he gave them this command. That means it is a command to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is not optional. But it is a command for every believer to be, it's, it's one of those non-negotiable imperatives. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Amen. So these are the last words. And when he finished speaking, he began to, uh, he was lifted up to heaven and a cloud received him out of their sight. So these are his very last words. But this is what he begins with. He tells them, don't wait, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And look at the response. Just look at the response. They asked him, Lord, are you, that means he's going to do it, at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Why did they say this? To understand, we have to look at the history of those times. And it will also help you see that uh, very often we interpret, we have a tendency to view and interpret scripture through the prism of our own circumstances and experience. At that time, when Jesus was ministering, Israel had been under foreign occupation for about 400 years. Now the Israelites were a, 
were a very proud people because, uh, uh, because they knew they were God's people. They knew they were chosen by God. They knew that God had a plan for them. And they knew that uh, um, the law of God was given through them. And the, all the prophets who came, came through them. And all the other nations were nobodies. They were heathen, but they had like most favored nation status with God. Right? So they were aware of that. But now, for 400 years, they didn't have their own kingdom. They were like slaves to foreign powers. You know how in America we talk about we are free. Israel couldn't say that for 400 years. So first came the Babylonians. If you look at history, just giving a historical breakdown. First came the Babylonians and ruled them. After the Babylonians left, then came the Seleucid Greeks. The Seleucids were Greeks. So they came. Now, the Greeks were there for a long time. And one thing about the Greeks, uh, the Hellenic culture, as they call it, the Greek culture and the language is very strong. Wherever they go, they, they left. Wherever they went, they would leave their cultural heritage before. So long after the Greeks had even left, they left their language behind. So that in the days of Jesus, all the, all the books were written in Greek. So even the books of the New Testament were written in Greek. If you're wondering why they were not written in Aramaic or Hebrew, which Jesus and the disciples spoke. Aramaic and, and, and Hebrew were the everyday street language. But all the literature, all the fancy stuff, that was in Greek. So the Greeks left their imprint behind. They, cult, they left their culture and the language behind. Then after the Seleucid Greeks left, there came the Romans. And the Romans were very brutal occupiers. They ruled by force and, and the people were miserable. They, they overtaxed the people. You know, their taxation system was very bad. They, they really squeezed the blood out of the people and they were very brutal. Their military was everywhere. And all these years, the Jews had cried out for a deliverer. So they began to interpret the messianic scriptures, all the verses that talked about the Messiah <coughs> they began to view the Messiah as a military figure who would come and overthrow the Romans and, and deliver their nation and establish their kingdom again. And all through these centuries, these four centuries, there had been many men who had risen up against the occupiers, people, uh, you know, who were strong men, um, and uh, they had, you know, they had been uprisings, but each one of the uprisings had been crushed, except for one man, his name was Judas Maccabeus, and who rose up against the Seleucid Greeks, and he did manage to establish a small kingdom, which was known as the Hasmonean Kingdom. And uh, Judas Maccabeus established it, but his brother, uh, uh, his brother ruled that kingdom and their descendants, and they were the Hasmonean dynasty. So it was called the Hasmonean kingdom. But the Hasmonean kingdom was very small, but they had, did have Jerusalem, and they had a small part of Israel, which was their own, and, and, and that was the only time the Jews did have a little kingdom of their own, but that didn't last long. After a few decades, that also disappeared. When the Romans came, they wiped it out. And they, you know, so now comes Jesus. Jesus comes and during the days of Jesus, there were many people who were teaching and traveling preachers. And John the Baptist was one of them. And 
there were people who followed them. But there was something unique about Jesus because he spoke like nobody else spoke. And then the other thing was that he began to heal the sick and cast out demons and he could do miracles. And because of that, he caught everybody's attention because this was something that nobody else could do. So then they began to think that, you know, this could be the one who's going to deliver us from the Romans. He could be the Messiah. And then especially, you remember that place where he fed the 5,000, remember? Five loaves of bread and two fishes. And it said there were 5,000 men plus women and children. And historians estimate there were about 20,000 people that day who were fed. So it was a huge miracle because through one miracle, he met the immediate needs of 20,000 people. Uh, and uh, after that, the scripture tells us, the Bible tells us that they tried to make him king by force. You remember that? They tried to make him their king by force. And they said, this is the man who's going to lead us. And they wanted to force him. Because you had people like the zealots. And one of the zealots, Simon the zealot, was part of his team, was one of his disciples. So he had all these undercurrents in the, uh, you know, in the Holy Land during the times of Jesus. But Jesus didn't want to be their king. Instead, he talked about the kingdom of God. And he caused a lot of frustration because their main problems was, was their political situation and they were being overtaxed and, and, uh, and Jesus never, if you notice, Jesus never made a single political statement. <coughs> Once the Pharisees tried to entrap him by saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because that was one of the Big hot potatoes those days. Right? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And now if you said no, then you say, well, he's a rebel against Caesar. He is leading an uprising against Caesar. If he said yes, then they say, you see, he's with our oppressors. But the wisdom of Jesus is classic. He took out a coin. He says, whose picture do you see on this coin? Caesar. He said, okay, fine. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God. Other than that, he never made a political statement. In fact, at another time, when it was time to pay taxes, he told his disciples, go and catch a fish. There'll be a big gold coin in his mouth and will be enough to pay your taxes and my taxes. So, he, you know, he, uh, I tell you what, I mean, their situation was far worse than we had in our country. But he never preached a political message. His message was about the kingdom of God. And that caused no frustration because everyone was saying, if there's anybody who can deliver us and establish the kingdom of God, anyone who has the power of God, it's him, doesn't even care. And in the midst of all this, what happens? He dies on the cross. And when he dies, all their dreams, their aspirations of kicking out the Romans and establishing their kingdom, die with him. But after three days, he rises from the dead. He was, Jesus was the, I mean, he made an amazing comeback, you know. <laughs> he rises from the dead and now the disciples are excited. Oh, he's back. So they're hanging on to every word. And for 40 days, he talked to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what he talked about. And so now they're expecting that, sure, Sooner or later, he's going to come around and tell us, okay, this is what we are going to do, overthrow the Romans. So then he says, now listen, this is what's going to happen. 
Don't go anywhere, but wait in Jerusalem. And just like I told you, he said, like John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Not many. And they said, is that when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So you understand why they said that. But he dashed water on their hopes again by saying, it is not for you to know the dates or the seasons which the Father himself has decided. But I tell you what, when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall receive power. Let us pause here a while. Didn't Jesus care for what they were going through? Of course he did. But Jesus was never moved by circumstances. He was moved by the Father's plan and purpose. He understood something that they didn't understand. But because he saw the Father's greater purpose. Which man doesn't see. Because all we see is what is happening around us. And we try to decipher and read that the best we can. And decide upon a course of action on the basis of that. But God, he sees. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. So Jesus knew what they didn't know. But we know it now because we look back at history. Then we understand what happened. And you know what happened? The Jews were never to get their kingdom back. Jesus had told them. He said, you see this temple? This temple is going to be knocked down. There shall be not one stone left upon the other. Then he said, because God doesn't live in buildings made by human hands, but he lives in the heart. And they, they, they let that pass by without really understanding what he meant. But what happened? In the year 70 AD, about 35 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there was yet one more uprising. And this time the Romans were fed up with the Jews and the uprisings. And they sent their brutal general Titus, who came all the way from Rome with his legions. And Titus, he destroyed Jerusalem and reduced the city to rubble. Not one stone was left upon the other. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He reduced it to rubble. And many of the Jews were killed. And from there they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Where for the next 1900 years, 1950 years, they suffered persecution and the worst of it you know was the holocaust but because the holocaust before the holocaust we had the spanish inquisition in the 1500s i mean those poor people they suffered and it took almost 2000 years before israel could have their own country again and that was in 1948 when the state of israel was established They could finally have a country they could call their own. But Jesus knew that. They didn't know it. They wanted their kingdom back. They didn't know it would take almost 2,000 years. But what came out of all this? What came out of all this? There were two factors. Firstly, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. He shed his blood to save sinners. And then... 40 days, uh, 50 days after that was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. And that day the church was born. And God's focus shifted to the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of God. So today we have the church of Jesus, which is the kingdom of God. 
One distinctive factor about this kingdom is that if you read history, every king on earth has built his kingdom by shedding the blood of his enemies. But Jesus Christ built his kingdom by shedding his own blood for his enemies to save them. And from that point, from that point, from the day of Pentecost, the church has spread and spread and spread. And it has spread with force and with power. The Bible says that uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That means it goes forth with violence and the violent take it by force. So today, the kingdom of God is the greatest and the most powerful nation on earth. We don't have geographical boundaries. We don't have a president. We don't hold elections. We don't have a flag. We don't have an army, navy, or air force. We don't have a capital city. We don't have a seat in the United Nations. But we are the most powerful nation on this earth. Because there's millions and hundreds of millions of people on this earth who speak of Jesus Christ as their Lord to the point that their allegiance to Jesus and to his cross stands higher even than even more than their allegiance to the nation in which they are born and in which they are citizens hallelujah that is the power of the kingdom of God And if there's any nation that the nations of the earth fear, people, countries like China and North Korea and all these Arab Muslim nations, if there's anything they fear, it is the power of the gospel. They want to keep the gospel out because they know that where the gospel comes, the kingdom of God goes forth. And they're scared stiff of the kingdom of God, the spread of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That is God's plan and purpose. And we see it today. Because we know history. Amen. So we are living in that age now. So anyway. Let's see you now. You have a historical background. Let's go to it. Go back to it. Then it says here. You see. Hebrews 12 verse 26 to 29 says, At that time his voice shook the earth. Now we are looking into the future again. But now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. There is going to be one more shaking. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. There will come a time every nation, every kingdom shall be shaken. Everything will be brought down. It's inevitable. It's written in the scripture. But you and I, we are receiving a kingdom that will never be shaken. So let us worship God. With reverence and fear. That means, you know, reverential fear. For our God is a consuming fire. But this is the commandment Jesus gave them. And I want to break that down. We are going back to Acts chapter 1, 1, verse 8. This is what he says. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. He says, leave that alone. That's not for you. Don't sit and speculate. But this one thing I'm telling you. When the Holy Ghost shall come, 
That is powerful. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the divine trinity. He's not an impersonal healing power or, or you know, something, but he is the third person of the divine trinity. And we have to understand that God is one, but he has revealed and manifested himself in three persons. The Father is in heaven. Jesus is at, actually at the right hand side of the Father. But when I say that Jesus lives in me, he doesn't really live in me in that sense because Jesus actually has a physical glorified body. But what I mean is that the Holy Spirit lives in me and Jesus lives in me by and through the Holy Spirit. Because the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit are one. So the Father and the Son are in heaven. The Father on the throne, Jesus at the throne on the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit is here. So everything that God the Father and God the Son do or say or speak, they do so through the Holy Spirit. That is why our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. If you look at the church at large today, you will see that all the churches, we agree totally on who the Father is. There's no discussion on who Jesus is. But where we differ is the Holy Spirit, his person and his work. You know why everybody has a different belief about the Holy Spirit? Because the devil knows that if he can keep the Holy Spirit out of your life or out of the life of your church, he will weaken us. Because without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. But so that's why Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, that means there is a time when the Holy Spirit is coming. And we look back at history and he has already come. 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, he came. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I'm speaking to every person sitting here in Impact Family Church, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. In other words, the Ho- it's not enough, oh, I've got the Holy Ghost, I speak in tongues. No, more than that. The Holy Ghost wants to come and take over your life. He wants to lead you and guide you and control you and tell you what to do. He wants to speak to you. He wants to have the number one position in your life and nothing less. Amen. Because he's God. Sidelining the Holy Ghost is like saying to God, you know, Jesus, you're my savior. That's fine. I'm going to go to heaven, but please stay out of my life. Let me do my thing. Just bless, bless my thing. That's not what the Holy Ghost wants. He says, when the Holy Ghost comes and he comes upon you, you know, when the Holy Ghost comes upon me, man, I say, Holy Ghost, come, just come, take over everything because your plans are better than my plans. You see farther than I do. That's why each one of us, Wherever you are in life, you should open your heart and consecrate yourself and give yourself totally to the Spirit of God and let Him take His rightful place in your life. And I'm, I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues, but I'm talking about talking beyond that. Walking in the Spirit, living the life of the Spirit. Let Him deal with stuff in my life if there's something that needs to be dealt with. Let him convict me with about sin that I'm harboring in my life. Let him make me feel miserable when I sin. So that I can do nothing else but get rid of it. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you. What you know what's going to happen. The first thing he says you shall receive power. Now that word power is the Greek word dynamis. 
which actually means brute force. That's the word used in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus was going to the house of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood came in from behind him and she touched him. She was dying. She touched his clothes because she said, if I may just touch his garment, I shall be healed. And she touched him and Jesus stopped and the disciples said, what's happening? And Jesus said, somebody touch me. And Peter said, Lord, everyone is touching you. And Jesus said, no, no, that's a different kind of touch. Because I felt virtue. The King James says virtue. Other translations say, I felt the power flow from me. Now that word is the word dynamis. So what Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, boys, do you remember in the fifth chapter of Mark when we were going to the house of Jairus and that woman with the issue of blood who was dying came and touched my clothes and that divine substance that flowed from me into her that healed her, you shall receive that very same thing when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That is why your Pentecostal experience should not be anything less than what Jesus has promised. Your experience with the Holy Ghost. Your expectation of the Holy Ghost. Should be at that level. Because that is what Jesus promised. Don't be satisfied with less than what Jesus has promised. And he said. He said. That same thing that flowed from me when that woman touched me. You shall receive that very same power when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. So if you can say, yes, the Holy Ghost has come upon me and I have received him. Then you should say, God, I want that thing to flow from my clothes. You shall receive power for what? Is it so that everyone can see, oh, man of God? No. You shall receive power so that you can be my witnesses. That's the reason. Now, what is a witness? A witness is somebody who can give evidence. Many years ago, I was called to a court because I had witnessed a crime. So they called me. The first question they asked me, Mr. Alam, were you there? Did you see the event? I said, yes. So they questioned me. I was cross-examined. I was a witness. If I had said, you know, I read about it in the, news, in the newspaper. I'm sorry, you're not a witness. You see what I'm saying? You shall be my witness. A witness is someone who can give proof and evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. And how do you do that? Because you see, if you can prove to people that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive, then you're a credible witness. Because the message, the message is this. If you read the book of Acts, you know, they didn't have a New Testament in the book of Acts. They didn't. So, because they didn't have a New Testament, what was it that they preached? Did they expound the Old Testament scriptures? No, it doesn't say that. What it says they did... It's that again and again it says with great power they gave testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. That was their one message that Jesus Christ the one who died the one you crucified. You crucified him. You buried him. But God raised him from the dead. And says of which we are witnesses. That was their message. Our message is that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is well today. 
and if he's alive today, he does the same things today that he did 2,000 years ago. He still forgives sins. He still heals the blind. He still raises up the cripple. He heals those who are dying of cancer. He does miracles today because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same today. Hallelujah. That is our message. And a witness gives evidence of that. And the only way you and I can ever give evidence of that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by eloquence, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's why we need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Because when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you can give evidence. Then it tells us where we can give evidence. In Jerusalem. Jerusalem is there was the hometown. That's where they used to hang out. That's where they lived. That's your safe area. Gainesville. Gainesville. High Springs. is your home. Judea. Judea was the land where the Jews lived. They didn't know everybody, but that was their own people. And then he said, hid Samaria. Who are the people of Samaria? They're the enemy. Remember what the Samaritan woman said to Jesus? Why are you even talking to me? We don't have dealings with you people. We're not supposed to talk to you. You worship on that mountain. We worship on this mountain. So who are our enemies today? Who do Americans consider our enemy? You turn on Fox News, they'll tell you who the enemy is. Right? Keep them out. Be suspicious of them. They have this agenda. But what did Jesus tell us to do? You give them evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? Now, you look at me standing before you. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would be your enemy. Wouldn't I? I would walk down the street. And you say, oh, we saw this guy, Muhammad Alam. That was my name, Abdul Nasser Muhammad Alam. And they would say, you know that guy with that funny name? It's kind of this, something about him. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Don't really trust him. He owns that convenience store. And every time I see him... <laughs> I feel something in my spirit and I go, she I was that guy, but now I'm here and I'm a brother in the Lord and I know people here love me. Why? Because somebody, and that somebody was the son of the wealthiest Christian philanthropist in England who traveled on a bus all the way to where I was, to the city I was living in. And he cried out to God. This is what his friends told me. God, give me one soul in this Muslim land who will serve you. And the next day, he was handing out tracts. And I didn't know anything about Jesus. Never seen a Bible. Never been to church. I was just a, you know, I was a combat veteran. Went, I fought in a jihad. And I believed in all that garbage, you know. And, and I was walking down the street. And I remember looking at him. I looked at his face. And I thought, he has something I don't have. And this was in the 70s when people were experimenting with drugs. My first thought was, I've got to find out what he's been smoking. Now, I'm not using you as an example. I don't mean you, you know. I mean, 
you're, you're a man of God. I'm just, I love you, brother. That's what I saw. So I went up to him, he began to tell me about Jesus. And that was the day that changed my life. So when he says, love your enemies, so you love your enemies by giving them the best you have. And that is Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And, and the thing is that, you know, when it comes to Muslims, let me tell you something, if the, which you don't know. I grew up as a Muslim. The Quran is the same size as the New Testament. Not the whole Bible, but the New Testament. And many of the stories are in the Quran, if you read the Quran, many of the stories are the same that you read in the Old and New Testament. You know how Abraham took his son up to the mountain? That's in the Quran. Except it wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael. Don't say anything about Ishmael, that's my ancestor, so be behave yourself. <laughs> but all those stories are the same moral teaching. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. All those things are found in the Quran. So you can't really debate with them which book is better because they are so similar. But the striking difference is this between Islam and Christianity is that Muhammad is dead and he's buried in Saudi Arabia in the city of Medina. I know that because all my relatives have been there, visited his grave and he is buried there. But Jesus Christ is alive because I have been to his grave and he is not there anymore. And Jesus Christ, you see, that is the difference. You can't win an argument. But you can demonstrate who Jesus Christ is. And that he's not dead. But he is alive. And that he is the one that the Bible says he is. Hallelujah. In Jerusalem. In Judea. In Samaria. And then what? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Will you give me five more minutes? To the uttermost parts of the earth. That that was striking. Because all those disciples were Jews. You know one thing about the Jews. Jews are not interested in the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, you got people like Vladimir Putin and some of these Russians, you know, they want, and even Hitler, they want to conquer the whole world. Jews are not interested in world domination. Believe me, they are not. They just want a little piece of land. Israel, I've been there. It's really a small piece of land. It's not big. It's about 30 miles wide and maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 miles long. Have you been there? It's, not, it's very small. And you don't want to send real estate, you don't want to sell real estate there either. Because not much grows there. Much of it is desert and their farm is not, you know, it's, it's, but, but that's what they believe God promised them and that's all they want. So Jews are not interested in conquering America or Russia. They, they, they don't want, they just want that piece of land. But Jesus is interested in world domination. Because the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Jesus wants his gospel. He wants his kingdom to expand and to conquer the whole world. That is why he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says, and they went and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Let me finish by telling you a story. Many years ago, when I was a 10-year-old kid, I think, I don't know if I was 10, maybe I was 9 years old, I don't remember. It was 63 or 64, around that time. My father was transferred to 
uh, he, to what is now known as Bangladesh. He lived there for three and a half years. So I lived there as a kid for three and a half years. And one day, my dad said to me, son, we are going on a wild elephant hunt. So I, I, even at that age, I used to do shoot. You know, my dad had taught me to shoot. So I thought we'll be shooting elephants. He said, no, we are not going to shoot them. But what they do is that they capture wild elephants and they domesticate them and train them. Interestingly, interestingly African elephants cannot be captured and tamed, but Indian elephant, Asian elephants can. I don't know why. So he says they capture these elephants and they train them to haul timber and even plow fields in some of these Asian countries. They do all the heavy work because they're very strong and sturdy animals and they can go anywhere. So he says, we're going to go to this in an expedition where they're going to capture these wild elephants and they're going to train them. So, so we went. And I remember we got one of those Willys Jeeps and we traveled for, we traveled for two days. And then we crossed the border into Burma. And we were in the jungles and we saw these elephants being captured and trained. You know, they were actually, they, they were capturing them and putting them in a stockade. The training took a long time, but we saw how they were catching elephants. And when I was in Burma, I don't know whether it was a voice or an impression. Something said to me that you're going to come back here and you're going to do some big things in this country. I remember that. And then that thing faded from my memory. Many years later, maybe 40 years later, not exactly, but almost 40 years later, I found myself in Burma preaching. And when I was preaching, I remembered that thing that had faded from my memories almost 40 years ago. It just came back to me. So I knew I was there for a purpose. And that first trip, you were with me. Remember? We saw all those miracles. The little on that Tuesday night, the little boy who was born deaf and dumb, he began to hear and to speak. Two nights later, his mother came and gave me a huge white star sapphire. I still have it in my, in my, in my house. The Lord said, don't sell it, just keep it. It's worth thousands of dollars. And the Lord said, every time you look at it, remember what I've done. You were with me. Remember when the sand, how great thou art. Remember that? Boy, we were on our floor weeping. Anyway, we were together. After that persecution came, it was very tough. Couldn't go back for a year. Then I went back the next year. When I went back the next time, I had, in five days, I had three open visions. And I don't want to go into details that, there, but one of the things what the Lord told me, I want you to start preaching the gospel and planting churches in the country. And I saw a tidal wave of the blood of Jesus wash across the whole nation of Burma from south to the north. And I heard a voice, an audible voice say, Burma shall be washed in the blood of Jesus. Burma shall be saved. And the Lord told me to plant churches. And at that time, I'm talking about 20 years ago. It was around 97, 98, huh? around that time. 96? Yeah, 96, 19, 20 years ago. There was such persecution of Christians. Christians were, were arrested, they were tortured, they were beaten, they were killed. Someone would put up a church, the army would bulldoze it. It was terrible. And I said, Lord, 
I will do anything you want me to do, but this place is dangerous. How will I do this? And the Lord said, I want you to do this. I want you to plant churches and raise up church planters and, and you know. And I said, okay, Lord, I will obey you, but on one condition. If the Holy Ghost will go with me. And I said, and I want the same Holy Ghost who I read about in the book of Acts. Not the other Holy Ghost I see in churches back home. You know, people fall and they had a good meeting. I said, no, no. I, because here, here, that thing doesn't cut, cut it and meet the standard. I said, I want the same Holy Ghost if that I saw in the book of Acts. I want that Holy Ghost to go with me. So the Lord said, okay. So next time I came to Burma, I did my first crusade. It was an indoor crusade. And I'll never forget that first night. While I'm preaching, they bring up all the sick people and stand on the side. I'm praying for them one by one. And I saw a man in hospital pajamas. He was skin and bones. And he was being held up by three people. And while I was praying for the people, I noticed that man slid to the floor and lay motionless. And then I saw them say something. The people were with him. And there was a bunch of... uh, nurses and doctors in the crowd who immediately ran to the front and they began to check on him and after 10 minutes or so they said to me one guy said in English pastor he's dead I said if he's dead do something because my wife is an RN and she loves to walk those medical shows and when something happens you know they give those two things those electric shocks and then they do heart massage. So I thought they would do something, but they did nothing. They said, no, pastor, he's dead. We can't do anything. Then they all got up and went back to their seats. So here I am. I have never seen a dead person being raised. At Rama, they didn't teach us how to raise dead people. Did they teach you? They didn't. You didn't. So it's same situation. Did they teach you? You went to Rama. Nobody taught how to raise the dead. They didn't teach me how to. In fact, in our first, I only went one year. They didn't even teach us how to do a funeral service. Let alone raise a dead person. Did they teach you funeral? Not that. You have to learn that from your dad. Okay. So he. I didn't know what to do. So. But the Holy Ghost always knows. So I decided. I, I don't know what to do. But I said in a Pentecostal meeting. It's not right that somebody dies. You know, it just doesn't seem right because of the things we preach about, you know. You preach this stuff and then somebody dies. I mean, dear Lord, you better do something, you know. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. So I began to pray in tongues because when you don't know how to pray, pray in tongues. I didn't even know how to pray or what to pray. So I began to pray in tongues and, and all these people sitting here, sinners, and I, they hear me say, everybody sat up, you know, what is he doing? So I began to shout in tongues and I was shouting in tongues. I was shouting in tongues and I was shouting in tongues. Then, then there was a, there was a girl, Lin Lin. Uh, did you ever meet Lin Lin? Huh? She was like 17-year-old kid thrown out of her home because she got saved. She was a Buddhist and she used to call me Papa. Used to hang, hang on to my arm. Everywhere I went, she 
would hang on to her. She came running. She said, Papa, what's wrong? I said, Lennon, this man is dead. Just stay with me. Let's just pray. So the two of us are praying. Everyone else is a spectator watching us. So I'm shouting in tongues. I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying in tongues. Then I stop and I said, I better pray something in English. So I prayed in English. I prayed in English and then I didn't know what to pray in English. So I prayed in Swedish and I prayed the same prayer. I prayed in English. I just prayed in, in Swedish. And then I thought, I better, I better I better pray more in tongues. I prayed more in tongues. And then I stopped. I'm not a singer, but I sang a chorus and nobody joined me. So I went back to singing, speaking in tongues. And now I'm praying in tongues. I'm just praying in tongues. I'm, that's, my, that's my thing. I'm going to pray in tongues. And I, pray. I don't know how long I prayed in tongues. But it was a long time. I was shouting in tongues. My eyes were closed. I was just praying in tongues. And then after some time, I began to feel heat. You know, let me tell you something about that. When you feel that heat, you know that God is fixing to do something. And that thing began to rise. You know, I feel tingling just as I'm telling you. It began to rise and rise. And then, you know, I just kept on praying in tongues and shouting in tongues. And then suddenly, you know, my eyes were closed. I was just praying. I felt like I was storming the throne of God. And then I hear the shout, hallelujah. And I freaked out. I jumped out. And it was the dead man. He had shot off the floor like a rocket. And he was standing in front of me with his hands in the air. And he was shouting and praising God. From that point onward, I went all over Burma preaching the gospel. And in the next few years, we established a church planting Bible school. We started 178 churches in unreached areas where there were no Christians. We trained pastors. We did crusades. We saw miracles. We saw in Burma at least four people that I know of who were raised from the dead. We saw lame people walk. We saw blind eyes open. I saw a woman who had, didn't have an eye because someone had shot an arrow and pierced her eye and her eye had just, you know, the doctors had taken her out. She had an empty socket and God created a new eye from her. And the military intelligence were following me around. And, you know, they wanted to uh, interrogate me. But when they saw that, it scared them to death. They just left and never came back again. Beloved, I want you to know this. That Jesus Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. His gospel has not changed. His Holy Ghost has not changed. And he wants to do the same things in your life and through your life as he did through those people 2,000 years ago. Because there's no difference between you and them. Even going further back, one of the greatest men used in miracles in the Bible was the prophet Elijah. And the book of James said, Elijah was a man of like passions, like weaknesses, just like you and me. But when he prayed, when he prayed, hallelujah. With God, nothing is impossible. You believe me, brother. You're with me. With God, nothing is impossible. And all things are possible if you believe. Will you take hold of your portion? 
and walk with Jesus and be a witness for him on fire with the flames of the Holy Ghost burning in your heart. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.